Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you sent your Son to die on a cross for us so that we would have a way to be saved and a way to have a relationship with you. Uh, the fact that you desire a relationship with us is mind-boggling. Uh, but you look on us, a, a bunch of sinners, and you not only want a relationship with us, but you went to extreme measures to make that possible. And we thank you for that. Pray that uh, this morning we're able just to hear from your word, that uh, I would be able to convey the, the thoughts that you desire this congregation to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are looking in Hebrews chapter 7 at verses 23 through 28. Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, the passage is 23 through 28. I'm actually going to back up and start with verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 7. It says, This makes Jesus the guarantee, the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins, and then first for his own sins, and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So this morning, Elijah said he had read through the passage. And we asked him you know, what he thought, if there was anything that I should share. And, and he said... Honestly, my first thought was, what are you going to preach on? Because Mr. Gregoire covered all of that last week. <laughs> so, Ryan, if you can just cue his sermon, we'll just... Um, just kidding. Uh, there will be some overlap uh, between last week's message and this week's, but it's not going to be identical. And that's good for a couple reasons. One, you might not have been here like Pastor Gibson. Or you might be like me and sometimes you need to hear something twice. For it to sink in, or maybe more than twice. Um, we're going to jump into the passage here eventually, but I'm going to kind of start with something else. As I was sermon prepping, and, and you can only kind of mentally focus on that for so long, and, and I'll take a little diversion sometimes, uh, I was looking at a John Christ video on Facebook. If you don't know who he is, he's a Christian comedian, and he's really funny, and it's clean, and a lot of times it's about Christian stuff and, and kind of poking fun at the way we do things and whatnot. Uh, well, anyway, he had made a video about Chick-fil-A and how chicken strips are better than chicken nuggets. All right. So uh, in this video, he said that one of the reasons was chicken nuggets are childish. I believe he said something like, uh, yes, sir, that'll be, uh, you know, 538. Uh, I need your credit card and your man card. <laughs> So this other lady, I, I didn't know who she was, some lady named Lauren, who has her own digital following, made a rebuttal video to this. And she kind of went point by point through everything that John said about 
chicken strips versus chicken nuggets. And one of the things she says, you said chicken nuggets are childish. Chicken nuggets are childish. Childish. Jesus loves the little children. Little children love nuggets. Do some logic with me. Jesus loves nuggets. (laughs) And at this point, Elijah busts out laughing and says, that is the most illogical lady I've ever heard. All right, so uh, we homeschool. Our kids go to classical conversations. And in his classical conversations class, they're studying formal logic. And he pulls out a whiteboard and a marker and like rewrites this in the correct format, whatever that meant. Because I'm a very logical guy, but I've never studied formal logic. And I was like Googling stuff as he talks, trying to keep up with everything he was saying. And he's like, oh, that's an AA4 format. And I'm like, what, AA4? I don't know. Uh, But I was trying to keep up with it. And anyway, like three whiteboards later, he has proven through formal logic that her argument was invalid. Uh, (laughs) And it kind of cracked me up. And I I really liked that because, A, it was my child diving into his schoolwork as he watches a funny video. Um, But I'm a very logical person. And I love logic because I can always rely on it, right? Sometimes we tend to be emotional or we tend to be you know, swayed by a, a story, by an anecdote or something. But I know I can always rely on logic. I've been saved since I was like 14, but I'll tell you there are days I don't feel saved. There are days that I don't feel like God cares or I don't feel like God's there where you sit here and go, oh man, like, been a Christian for so long, but right at this moment, it doesn't feel like any of this is true, right? And our our emotions can mess with us, but I know I can always go back to logic and to the word, and I can quelch those emotions by looking at what God says in his word. So my favorite passage in scripture is Romans 8, 38 and 39. Which says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? So basically, this verse just says, no created thing can separate you from the love of God. Right? And it could kind of just say that without all the words, but... Sometimes we say everything. We don't really mean everything, right? So here it kind of breaks it down. It's like, look, angels can't separate you. That includes demons. They're fallen angels. Uh, Principalities, governments, right? The future, things present, things to come, height, depth, physical space. uh, Nothing that's created. And here's what I love about that verse. I'm created. So that means I'm included in this list. I cannot even mess up my own salvation, which is a great comfort because I I would manage to do it, right? And this verse, I find so comforting, right? It breaks it all down. Everything really means everything here. Well, it means everything that's created, right? Is there anything that's not created? Well, I'd say God is not created, right? He's the creator. So then... I always pair this passage with John 10, 27 through 31, which says, Jesus is speaking, and he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So you have this verse that goes, says everything that's created, makes it super clear that everything means everything there as far as what's created. And then you have another verse that says, well, the only thing that's not created is God, and God's not going to let you go either. Right? And so we can logically look at it and say, our salvation really is secure. Right? If we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we don't have to worry. Um, I haven't actually gotten around to reading the Stop Asking Jesus Into My Heart book yet, but I'm, I'm guessing it kind of deals with some of these same issues. Right? I don't have to worry. My salvation is really secure. That's one of my favorite thoughts in Scripture. Maybe because I needed to fall back on it so many times in my life when I'm like, wait, am I really saved? Wait, did, did I do that right? Did it? Can I lose my salvation? I don't feel saved right now, right? And I can rely on that. Well, that was a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't in Hebrews, right? So what did that have to do with today's passage? The book of Hebrews is a very logical book, right? And the passages I went through just explained that Jesus is able to save and our salvation is secure. But this passage in Hebrews kind of explains why Jesus is able to save, right? that he is our great high priest. We have to remember, and Gibson and Charles have mentioned this in the past, but yes, the Bible is written to us today, but specifically it was written to a certain group of people at a certain time. You have to think, kind of think that through when you look at Scripture. Right? So this is a book that was written to Hebrews. Right? And what was their perspective when they were receiving this letter? Right? They were God's chosen people. They had the covenant with Abraham. They thought they were better than everybody else, right? They thought they had this special thing with God, which they did, right? And here the author of Hebrews is trying to say, no, Jesus is better. There's a new covenant, a better covenant, right? But what was their perspective? In Leviticus 20, 26, God says, you shall be holy to me, speaking to Israel, for I am the Lord... Sorry, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the people that you should be mine. Right? And then God had the ten plagues and led them out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He led them through the desert. He parted the Jordan River. He gave them a land. He drove out the inhabitants. He took it away from the other nations and gave the land to them. Right? He gave them a tabernacle. He gave them the temple. He gave them all this stuff. And these are the people that... He's writing this too, right? There are people sitting there going, we have this special covenant. We understand that God has given this to us and you're saying there's something better and it's not just for us, it's for everybody, right? That's kind of a a weird or tough audience to write to, right? So now the author's trying to convince them that there's this new, better covenant. Now I say new, but is it really new? No. Right? This is a covenant that was promised back in the Old Testament. It was pictured throughout the Old Testament. As Charles always says, Jesus is on every page. Right? So it's not really new, but it's new to the people listening. Like they didn't really understand it. Right? So what was the high priest's function? Right? We're trying to describe that Jesus is a better high priest. Elijah also said about the passage that last week Charles told us that Jesus is enough, and he wanted to title this passage, Jesus is better. 
The function of the high priest was to stand between God and man, right? To go in on the Day of Atonement and make sacrifices for the people. Well, why did we need a high priest to do that, right? Well, it's because God is holy. People are sinful. You needed a mediator there, right? And that high priest is a picture, was a picture of Jesus, of what he was going to ultimately do. But as with a lot of pictures, it, it kind of breaks down, right? Pictures are great, but they're not perfect, right? So here you have the high priest standing in the gap between the people and God and offering the sacrifice because the people are sinners. But the high priest was a sinner too, right? So before he could offer the sacrifice for the people, he had to offer a sacrifice for himself so that he would then be seen as sinless so he could offer the sacrifice for the people. But when he's offering the sacrifice for himself, he is also a sinner, right? So like, how does that work? If you need a sinless high priest to offer the sacrifice for the people, but he himself is a sinner and offers a sacrifice for himself, uh, I feel like the picture kind of breaks down a little bit, right? It kind of doesn't logically completely make sense. Uh, but why is that? It's because that was a picture of what was to come. It wasn't really what was saving people. It was a picture of what would save people. The sacrifice of Christ. Right? It says in our passage... Today, that in verse uh, 26, it, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Separated from sinners there doesn't mean he was never around sinners, right? Matter of fact, that was one of the criticisms of Jesus on earth. The Pharisees would look at him and say, oh, he eats with sinners, right? He's, he's going to tax collectors and and these, these sinners, right? So what does the separated from sinner there, sinners mean? It means that he himself was sinless, right? He didn't partake in the sin, but that didn't mean he was not around sinners. So Jesus was a perfect high priest. He did not need to offer a sacrifice for himself first. He was already sinless, right? And it, it's interesting, because whenever I think about Jesus being perfect and sinless, I always think about the fact that He's the perfect sinless sacrifice, which is true, but he's also the perfect sinless high priest, right? And so we had that image of the, the you know, pure white spotless lamb being sacrificed in the Old Testament, which was showing the sinless sacrifice of Jesus, but we also have Jesus being sinless as far as being the high priest, uh, which I found very interesting as I looked into this, uh, preparing this message, I always thought of the, the sinless part just as being the sacrifice, but you needed a sinless sacrifice and a sinless high priest, and Jesus filled both of those. As Charles pointed out, and as our passage points out here, the old covenant had a high priest, and then the high priest would die, and then they'd get a new high priest, and then that high priest would die, right? And they had to keep... Uh, getting a new high priest constantly. But with Jesus, well, he died too, didn't he? But then he rose again, and he conquered death. In one of the commentaries I looked at, it had a great quote. It says, God delivered Jesus from death rather than merely from dying. Wow. You know, he could have spared him from dying, but then he still 
could eventually have died, right? No, he didn't spare him from dying, not merely from dying, but from death completely. He raised him again, and he sits at his right hand. In Revelation 1, 17 and 18, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. In the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the wings of Hades and of death. Right? And we know other passages where it says, you know, oh, death, where is your sting? Right? Jesus conquered death. So we have this high priest who's never going to die. He can't die because he's actually conquered death. So we have Jesus is being perfect and being permanent. So if you want some nice alliteration, he's our perfect permanent priest, right? <laughs> High priest, but that doesn't fit. So that's a lot of the, the, what this passage is getting at. It's the fact that Jesus is better than the Old Testament High priests because he's perfect and he's permanent. And the task of the writer of Hebrews was to convince the audience here that Jesus is better. Not only is Jesus better, but he's the real deal. And what they had known previously was just a picture of what was to come. Now, I want to bring out a couple more things here. Um, things that might be confusing. First of all, we have an old covenant and a new covenant. The old covenant was not a failure. It wasn't like God made this covenant. Yeah, man, it really didn't work out. Let's make a new one. Right? He had a plan for the Old Covenant, and the Old Covenant had a purpose. The Old Covenant was to do two things. It was to show us that we're sinners and we need a Savior. And it did that. There was no way anybody could follow the law. You look at all the laws, I mean, you can't follow the Ten Commandments, but like, you look at the full list of all the laws, and you know... Man, if this is what it takes to be saved, I can't do it. I've already broken them. And even if you said from here on out, don't break them, I'm still not going to be able to do that. My dad, growing up, went to a Catholic church. And as a kid, his understanding was he had to go to confession and confess his sins to a priest, and that's how he'd be forgiven. And he realized early on that the only way he would get to heaven is if he walked out of confession and got hit by a bus crossing the street. Because he knew, like, I'm not going to make it any farther than that without sinning again, right? And, and if I don't get back to the priest, that was his understanding of it. That's not really the way things work. But he says, you know, if I don't get back to confession, then, then you know, those sins got me. Um, so the Old Testament wasn't an accident, right? If you look at Acts 2, 23 and 24, it says, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So we have this Old Testament, Old Covenant plan. It was a success. It showed us that we are sinners and we need a Savior. And it showed a picture of Jesus who was to come. And that's what it was there for. When I was in college... At Messiah College, we had what we called J-term, January term, where you'd take one class for like three hours a day for a month, and you'd, you'd bust a whole semester of class out. And the one year, Becky and I took this class, it was, 
I don't know, it was something to fulfill one of our Bible requirements. And I, after like the first day, I only showed up to the class to argue with the professor because he was, I don't know, he, his theories were out there. And one day in class, he said that Jesus came to earth for social reform and that his death was an accident. So then God raised him from the dead. Have you not read the Old Testament? Like, it's pictured all throughout, right? This, is, this was God's plan from the beginning. It's our only way of salvation. The blood of bulls and goats does not take away sin, right? We have to have the sacrifice of Jesus. So I think one confusing thing we can get into here is that we think, oh, maybe the Old Covenant wasn't good enough, so there was a New Covenant. No, the New Covenant was there, promised from the beginning. It's promised in the Psalms. It talks about the oath here in Hebrews 7. That's a reference back to Psalm 110. Um, that was always the plan. But for us to understand the plan and, and to, to take care of people until Jesus came, we had to have a plan just to get from there up until Jesus died, right? And that new covenant could, could take place. One other thing that I think might be confusing, definitely to the, the audience here of Hebrews, but I think even to us, is we talk about Jesus being the great high priest, right? But he never acted like it when he was on earth. He never claimed he was the high priest. He never entered the temple and tried to sacrifice, right? So here, in Hebrews, you have an author writing to a bunch of Hebrews who know what the high priest does, and says... And these people would have known Jesus, maybe met him, maybe seen him, or at least heard stories of him. And they know what the high priest does, and they know that Jesus didn't do those things. Like, wait a minute, you're telling me that Jesus is the high priest, but he didn't offer sacrifices? He didn't go into the temple on the Day of Atonement? He never tried? He never said he was the high priest? Like, why is that? It took me a little while to kind of think about this, because the one commentary just kind of pointed this out and then left it there. And I was like, oh, what's that about? But remember, the high priest was part of the Old Covenant and the law, and it was a picture of Jesus. Why would he go and participate in something where he would be a shadow of himself, right? He wasn't going to go be a part of the picture when he was the real deal, right? And he did offer the sacrifice on the cross. It wasn't in the temple, right? But it was on the cross. In preparing for the speaking this morning, I looked at Wikipedia. Not, not the way you should really sermon prep, but I googled something and Wikipedia came up and I was like, yeah, let's see what Wikipedia has to say, right? And I found it very interesting because this is what it said. Now, this is not right, okay? I always like to preface that, like don't start believing me when I'm reading this. But here's what Wikipedia said uh, about the high priest. It said, in the Christian, Christian tradition, Jesus is symbolically consecrated as the eternal high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, well, they got something right. He was after the order of Melchizedek. In light of his in eternal intercession with God, the position of the high priest of Israel was abolished with the destruction of the second temple. Okay, they got that right too. So Jesus' Jesus's assumption of the title of high priest served as a symbolic continuation of the priesthood. Man, they, they got it completely flipped around. Jesus isn't there symbolically. All of the other priests were there symbolically of the real priest that we have in Jesus Christ. How could they have it so backwards? 
just going to close here with one other verse. And it's in 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Amen. We have a perfect high priest who himself was a perfect sacrifice. And it wasn't replacing the old covenant. As Charles said, it completed the old covenant. The old covenant was leading us to this the whole time. Right? And this is the actual plan of salvation. It wasn't bulls and goats and, and sacrifices of the Old Testament. That was just a picture that was just to keep that in front of the people as a reminder of what was to come. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your sacrifice of your Son. And the fact that you would send your only Son to a perfect, sinless Son to save a bunch of sinners is amazing. I ask that you help us to keep that in our minds throughout the week and not just for Sunday morning, but help us to live our life knowing that we have a great high priest making intercession for us, a perfect high priest who himself was the sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.